0: Shirt show. All right, let's go. Shirt show. Talking shirt. Shirt show. Talking shirt. Shirt show. Talking shirt. Shirt show. Shirt man. All right. Episode 103 of Shirt Show. We're
1: talking with Mark Coudre from California. Let's go. Um, What's that for? <laughs> hey, babes. Hey,
2: babes. That wasn't cool. Can you hear him?
1: <laughs> uh, I can hear him, sort of. Yeah. I mean, okay. my mic won't go. What for if him. I just lean
0: over like this?
1: Nah, you're gonna have to do that for two hours. <laughs> I'm not. Alex, I'm not he's gonna sit here. For he's two just pre gaming it. With <laughs> me. Your uh, the color choice of your shirt is absolutely incredible. Thank you, sir. Yeah, I, uh, I admire yours as well. Mm. Dylan, a, come on.
0: I know. It's your, uh, your poop, your poop neck, right? Your cr- yeah. What, what do we call it? <laughs> Crew neck. Um,
1: I can't remember anymore, but it was good. <laughs> yeah. So where's,
0: uh, okay. where's
1: Matt. Oh, 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 oh. Um, Is unfortunately look, Matt, Matt could stay forever. Mm-hmm. He really could. I mean, um, As you both know, Matt is, he's dedicated to Printavo and to the success of their users. He is, he owns a rad print shop. He is a family man, a counselor, and a good friend. (laughs) Cheers, Mr. Mercott. Cheers to you, buddy. (laughs) Cheers, Matt. (laughs) And I miss him, miss him so hard. So look, I wanted to know right away, because this is very near and dear to me top yeah. gun it's amazing dude oh my god i knew it's so it. good it's really good i have watched like all of the trailers and then you know how they'll on like they show how um like all of the pilots really flew in those planes and they right. actually um hit record on the cameras and stuff like that i mean it was yeah. real
0: all of the all of the dog and stuff in the jets is all like really intense like really good Dog fight? The movie's just dogs? really good in general.
1: There's dogs up there. I didn't I didn't see that part.
0: Yeah, we didn't that's go dogs. see Top Gun the movie. We said we went to Top Guns with a Z and it yeah. was a dog fight.
1: Cool. Oh, right. we're talking about different right. Alex so that, brought so all the a... money. I did.
0: And we did some <laughs> illegal dog fighting last night.
1: <laughs> that you know what? That <laughs> so that that figures. Of right. course that happened.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we adopted them afterwards. So
1: that's sweet of all you. Right. Check this out. I don't want it to fall because it's kind of broken, but
0: I know. Mines right I am holding. Alex, grab mine off my desk. It.
1: Alex, Is Alex now your bitch? You're like, hey, yes, uh, grab Alex, mine off my this. desk. <laughs> yeah, I Alex, got don't uh... do it. You should have heard him last night.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm very demanding in the sack. Look at this thing.
1: Did yours come um, off of the stand or was yeah. it all assembled? Oh, no, it's off the stand. Oh. Check out mine. Mine was a little bit damaged in shipping, and mine only has one. Uh, lope i guess you would call it oh that sucks it's called a unicorn oh it yeah,
0: you is you got a special exactly. one you got a unicorn
1: it's a jackacorn jackacorn <laughs> <laughs> uh mm-hmm. but this was sent to us from Hayden he's from hometown apparel in in Henry. wyoming where in wyoming somewhere in wyoming douglas wyoming and this is really cool this is what he sent but um his letter was like letter 700 pages makes it I read it to Dylan, uh, because Dylan really doesn't Harry. read. And I read it to Dylan on, I think it was like last Friday night, and he cried. Like, mm-hmm. a- and, and here's the thing. like, Okay, so Dylan didn't cry, although he did. It was very heartfelt. Joanne actually did cry. She did. She mm-hmm. teared up. It's that fucking beautiful. Because his that story... I did read it. It was a great letter. It was a good letter. You guys moved hey, Thank you. Just around. Um, and so... I it. think we have to have him on the show because that story is, oh just, yeah. I mean, amazing. Mm, I'm down. Okay, okay. Uh, um, I got
0: Alex to go on a walk with me around the lake this morning. Sure did. That's why he's got his sick gym shorts on.
1: <laughs> oh, is that a dry fit? Okay, now it's starting to make sense. Mm-hmm. He's yes, working. Out. Are you dry or are you wet?
0: I was. He was a little wet. of both. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> kind of like Bruce's wine. I don't know. Yeah, a little. <laughs>
0: I don't um, know where you're just going with that. Mm, I don't either. Mm, glad those clowns um, aren't on this right now.
1: <laughs> I miss those guys. Yeah. They're so...
0: Handsome.
1: Love yeah, it. So, so there's a long yeah. list of
0: things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Intelligent.
1: That's yeah. where
0: I was going
1: to go. Anywhere? Yeah. Yeah. They are super smart. There's no doubt about that. Probably yeah. too smart. I can hardly hang. A couple hang. Of nerds. Yeah. <laughs> Announcement. We are going to be at the Graphics Expo. Also, Alex, you're going to be there, right? Yes.
0: Wait, Alex that was the hesitation.
1: Me, like he Alex might not promised be.
0: me the best steaks in the world.
1: Oh, wow. what am I getting? Yeah, hot dogs? Best steaks in you the best getting... steaks
0: in uh, Illinois. Indiana. Or Indiana.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it is. So this comes out when this comes out Monday. Memorial Day, and then it's the following weekend. So yeah, if you're listening to this, we're going to be in Indy. We're going to be at the GraphX Expo. I think that's what it's called. Yep. Um, we're going to be at Alex's booth, and we're commissioned salespeople. Uh, we true. get ninety percent of whatever we sell. This we're going to have
0: seamless. a we're going to have a facial section where we rub <laughs> uh, where we rub seven hundred one on our face to see if it actually. Yeah. Yeah. Chemical peel, right? Chemical peel,
1: <laughs> right. Um. Oh, also, Jonathan with the Golden Boys, he offered to buy everyone lunch. I think that attends. at the expo. Yeah, this, I mean, what a guy! Like he, we knew he had a big heart, but that's he
0: has he's a big like, wallet as well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he does. So he didn't have to do that, but it's pretty cool of him. <clears throat> um. So that's exciting. What mm-hmm. else?
0: Uh, what else is there? I don't know. It was a it was a good week. Alex has been here uh for some time now. Uh, we're adding some mods to the uh, Blue Water. We're putting in a, a finishing station.
1: Did he teach you about squeegee pressure? You know, like how what it does, like more or less pressure, and just sort of how to screen print, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He Full was on essence. he was on
0: press all day yesterday, just like cracking the whip and getting everybody in shape. Good. I'm proud of you. Mm-hmm. and then i took him to lunch and then we went to dinner and then we went so, to the movies
1: yeah. <laughs> delicious barbecue
0: yeah and this morning that's we went like out together and went to the diner
1: it's like a a date that's like a more than a date that's like a long right. ass date
0: i wine and I dine love. beforehand it's i don't true. just slip it in
1: <laughs> so Wow. Well, you know i feel like when alex was in town last time i didn't do enough really That's and all, so- i'm just
0: trying to one-up you is all i'm trying to do
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well you did how, it. Uh, how was your week with Marcot?
1: it's good it wasn't a week it was two days
0: well how was your two days with marka
1: i almost posted this but the two days he was here he was so pro like professional but we fed each other bananas um mm-hmm. and that sounds good i have a pick
0: oh i would I love could- to see that absolutely um
1: so I'm not going to send it to you because I know that you will <laughs> abuse it. Hmm. There's several picks. I'll abuse it, choose. but I won't
0: show it to other people.
1: <laughs> oh, I wonder if this will if the if it's going to pick this up.
0: Oh God! There you go. I didn't like it.
1: Didn't work. I don't know. Anyway, okay.
0: send it to Chad. We'll put it in the show for everyone's. Nah,
1: no. Nah, I think everybody. It's probably best to just you know imagine it. Mm. Can't unsee Memories, stuff like right? that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah that's right we can live Mm -hmm. through it in memories yeah i have um so of course you've you have you had you have listened to this book and read this book it's wonderful anybody i
0: I highly recommend it's
1: it's wonderful anybody that has not read feck perfection and it's by james i don't know how you pronounce the last name but i think Victory.
0: victor victory
1: victory this book is amazing. I'm, half, I'm over halfway through, but he, on page 16, he lists five rules and dude, they're incredible. And so I thought I would just list them really quick. Yes. Uh, and we're going to go, we're going to count down. Number five, never work for assholes. Yeah. You like that? Like this
0: guy. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs>
1: Um, yeah, th- don't don't do that. It's an important rule. Number four is go for long walks. You guys just did that earlier. Rush. exactly. It. So exactly. we're two for two. So, so, so f- yeah, you're two for two. Number three, no smoking. Don't smoke. Bam. It doesn't say what not to smoke. It just says no smoking. So we maybe should clarify that. Maybe not. Um, number two, fire bad clients. We talk about that all the fucking time, right? Mm-hmm. And the number one rule. Are you ready? Should we drum roll it?
0: No one ever hears this.
1: I hear it. I hear it a little bit. Treat others as you would like to be treated.
0: I, I think I do that. hundred percent. Right? Yeah. So I'm like, one I'm perfect. Right. Isn't that what that means?
1: And at the end, it says, actually, Dylan, if, you, if you're curious, it shows like, my to... picture. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
0: the perfect specimen.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
0: I don't know how it was used or what it's being used for, but our buddy uh, Jared AKT asked me this week for uh, a picture of you.
1: Uh Oh, oh,
0: because he said he was in love with your Andy's three laws or three rules or whatever. The the last <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. So I'm guessing he's those... going to
0: make something with like your head and like the rules. Perfect.
1: Well, there's actually didn't Steven add like, I don't know, two more. Steven, they were
0: even added to it. Yeah, has, they're pretty good. His business,
1: he's got some good ones too. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: those were laws. These, these here, I'm just reading are rules, and rules and laws are different, I guess. Right, so.
0: meant to be broken.
1: Mm-hmm. Which are
0: both, <laughs>
1: right? Mm-hmm. Um, I got this
0: fucking mustache right next to me. Look at this thing. I know. I watched him lick like. <laughs> like liquidy egg out of it this morning. It was great. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Greasy spoon diner egg. Why did you talk him into egg? meat
0: and gravy <laughs> on his potatoes?
1: Hmm. Mm. Sounds good. You wouldn't have to talk oh. me into that. Right. I just said this is I'm what you're trying you to make get. better decisions in life. Better choices. That's <laughs> yeah, so like you life. went on a long walk and then you just totally
0: destroyed went. it. Well I I literally asked him that right before we <laughs> left the walk. I was like, hey, do you want to go negate this whole thing and have breakfast? <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: Well, it's oh. it's better than than doing that and not doing that. Did you walk around like the lake and with the beautiful uh, yeah. scenery and everything? Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. The other day, uh, I was uh, Joanne and I were on a, like an after dinner <laughs> walk, and so was Dylan. And he sent me like three sun, like gorgeous sunset pics. It Looks, you probably used a filter, knowing you. No, I and didn't. straight and, shot. <laughs> and then I and Joanne and I were like, it was like overcast and cloudy, and so I took a picture of <laughs> my like, favorite the
0: cloud. was the uh, my favorite was the video I got sent.
1: Oh, yeah. We're we're walking down a sidewalk and randomly there's a Johnny on the spot just like blocking the sidewalk. Love it. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: And then you guys went in and made love.
1: (laughs) We did. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. tipped over. Mm -hmm. It didn't Came out with like
0: blue water stuff all over you.
1: Marcotte told me that because I showed him that video and he said, Do you know that if you, I think the stats are something like if you have 10 of those porta potties and you rent, lease them out, that you can make 200K. No, a year.
0: Yes. If they were constantly being rented out,
1: yeah, you have to service them. You know, you have to like plunge them and clean them out and all that kind of stuff. So it's probably not probably bad.
0: I mean, you gotta think it's a fucking hot plastic box that people shit in (laughs) at festivals. It's not the greatest. (laughs)
1: Construction workers destroy. Well worth,
0: well worth the 200k.
1: That's a lot of money. So maybe screen printing. Maybe you and I like when we retire. That's what we do.
0: We've been talking for the past two days about two days. new side hustles. I was like, we need okay. to spend money on something.
1: Dylan on the spot. Dylan on the spots.
0: And you go in and it's just like me sitting down and you sit on my lap. <laughs> like, it's just like I get someone to like vinyl graphic me in the inside. We'll make it way, way more. back at that Way on the door. <laughs> Both. Both.
1: <laughs> Forget 200K a year. 200K like an a hour. Weekend.
0: you want to shit do you want to shit on my lap come to this one
1: (laughs) um well hey sponsors
0: yeah let's talk about uh, talk about this one I told me you had to rub his mustache while we talked about it facts did say that (laughs) (laughs) oh god see how fast he is today (laughs) prank
1: i texted frank i said hey i need some emulsion and he called me he goes hey fucking idiot how many (laughs) (laughs) i don't know just send me some just some yeah Mm -hmm. it's kind of like hey and i thought to myself like oh hey how much for a t-shirt you know i was like man i'm that guy (laughs) it would have
0: been better if he sent you like like four drums (laughs) just charge your card
1: I know it all starts with the screen and whether it's new stretches or restretches, Frank and his team do it the best to find out more. Go to graphicscreenfashion.com. screen, F F F F F
0: rank.com or great fucking screens.com. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's mm-hmm.
1: You guys want to watch me do this real quick?
0: Uh, always yep.
1: <laughs> Venmo me. Give me some money.
0: Uh, Andy's, Andy's only fans.
1: What's page. your Venmo? <laughs> so <now they're laughs>
0: softest hands. Sixty
1: nine. <laughs> hey, you know, cleaning screens is no fun, but EasyWay makes it funner. Their line of eco-friendly chemicals will keep you, your face, and your screens clean. Check them out at EasyWay.com.
0: EasyWay. way, the easiest way. <laughs> there you go.
1: Peace. Uh oh. Fun No, no, no. He's no. gone. Boo.
0: He didn't want to stay.
1: <laughs> um,
0: it's weird, I got my mic on the other side today. I'm confused.
1: Like the whole time he was like, get to the fucking sponsorship already.
0: <laughs> oh, he's like, I just want to say it's the easiest way and get out of here.
1: God, don't you miss him already?
0: I do. Mm-hmm. We had a real fun time last night, though. It was good.
1: Action engineering makes all kinds of accessories printers need. Go to actionengineering.com to have a look and then use shirt show at checkout, get a one-time discount of 15%. Off. Correct. And guess what? I've been speaking with Melanie and we are getting ready to release some new discounts next month. So I guess probably when our next episode comes out. So, you know, like how a lot of people, um, you know how this is just a one-time discount. Mm-hmm. Well, there's going to be a new discount. That you can use to so do not sleep on that. It's common. Mm-hmm.
0: I actually just used our discount the other day, ordered some stuff.
1: Cool, nice job. Did you post how much you saved? That's what you're supposed to do.
0: I, uh, what I needed was like eighty bucks total. So,
1: mm-hmm. Monarch Color makes ink that does what it's supposed to do. Learn more at monarchcolor.com. Ink better, print better, be better. Live moss. Monarch. Monarch. I was going to do something. What was it? What was it? It was important. You know how when you remember something and you're like, oh, this is a, I, I want to mention this and then, oh, let me read the monarch color thing first and then I'll say it. And then you forget completely. And then like, completely. An, and like five seconds goes by and then yep. you just don't even know what That's it was. That's all the time.
0: With dude, everything. What is wrong with me? Yeah. Seriously. I'm the exact same way.
1: Do I need different vitamins? I literally oh, I literally have like a... L- <sighs> I remember, go ahead and say, what were you going to say? You literally, I, I just
0: have like a, I have a rule with myself now that I basically like anytime a thought comes into my mind, I, I mm-hmm. know that I'm going to forget it. So I instantly <laughs> email myself,
1: dude, I do the same thing. I love you so much. Yeah. I like, you. are we like twinsies? Uh, what was that called? Um, soulmates. I think. <laughs> I think <laughs> Don't, tell Don't tell you. Joanne. <laughs> I will. I'll be like, um, he says
0: we're soul like a hundred percent and a hundred percent soulmates. Like there's no room for you in here.
1: Okay, here we go. This is what I was looking for. Last week, I'm pretty sure it was last week. Yeah, last week we said that we haven't received any uh, shirt show reviews in uh, like this year. First of all, that wasn't totally accurate one? because we got one on January 23rd. But no, we've got two, two fucking reviews and i would like to read them because i said i would and and you can read the other one and so hey are you looking it up right now Uh, no were you paying attention what i was saying yes of course what were you doing don't even say you were looking at instagram no okay well good um could you do me a favor and go to apple podcasts and pull up reviews and and i would like to read one and then maybe maybe i thought you could I'll think about it um and here's why because the last time i read something you guys tore me like a hundred assholes mm-hmm. and so i said i was never going to read anything again and here i am the very next episode reading something so i, I think this is important though the first one is from froboy inc it's titled inspirational and educational five stars he says, love these guys. When I'm not feeling like printing, I'll just put on an episode and get lifted. The community has grown and many printers are sharing their stories. It's always fun and educational. So thank you. Thank you for, thank you. Uh, sorry, for a boy ink.
0: Yeah. And uh, so I'm doing the next one, right? Stash yep. Studios. Exactly. Man, I really love this show. Amazing host, informative, hilarious, cornballs, and I love it. Being new to the screen printing industry shirt show has truly taught me a lot. Like Andy says, every episode now it all starts with a screen. It really does. And I've learned the hard way through many mishaps. I just have to get me some of those sweet. Fo- 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 franks. So uh, thanks dude. Appreciate it. You didn't
1: it. read the vo- you, There's, there's more.
0: Oh, sorry here. Uh, love the show. Keep up the great work. Congrats on the hundo live Moss boys. And mm-hmm. some fist bumps. Let's right. Fire. So if you want to be cool like these two, uh, leave us a review on
1: Apple. Did you check and see if Spotify had any? I did not. Um, Spotify, let's check. I don't know. Can you leave a review on Spotify? I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I think you can, just can just rank rate it, but I don't know. Let's see. I don't know.
0: Whatever you can mm. do. Hey, leave us a com- leave us a comment on YouTube too. We want to read the comments.
1: Um. So there's there's ratings. I don't see comments and there's 49 ratings. We so that's a, pretty fucking rad.
0: We need 20 more.
1: You just chose a number. Like we need 20 more to get no, to. No, because 20 more would be. Uh, 40 69. Would be six. Oh yeah. Come on. Um, that's all, by the way, I went to school in the eighties and all we did was addition. Mm-hmm. That's what we did. Every that's day. the only
0: math they had back then. They haven't figured anything else out yet.
1: No. Subtraction came along after I was through it. I was through the whole thing. Um, Why don't we jump in? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, Well, who's our guest today, Andy?
1: I I have that to share. And I thought I would do kind of like what I did with Fresno. Only not reading as much because I know I'm not very good at it. But I've got these little (laughs) things. Cool. Okay, cool. Okay, cool. Here we go.
0: Are those all the books he's written? (laughs) Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Mark, calm down, man. Good morning.
1: Good morning. morning.
0: How's it going?
2: It's going 100 miles an hour already. Are you in a library or is that your house? That's part of my business library. So that's about one-sixth of the business books I've got. And the, the green dots are books that I've read. And the gold dots are books I've read six times or more. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know it's obnoxious, right? <laughs> <laughs> and which color dots are the ones that you wrote?
2: I I haven't written any books yet. Oh, there you go. That's
1: the four, next thing.
2: I've got four that are that are in the works, and there's one right now that's really cool that came out of COVID. And nice. uh, it's uh, it's changing a lot of things. It's it's basically it's what I call the law of inverse effort, which is how to double your business with half the work. I think that's I what I was on. looking for. Yeah. How to quadruple your business with one quarter of the work <laughs> or how to 10 X your business with one tenth of the work. And I thought when I, when I thought this concept up, I thought this is ridiculous. You know, it's an experiment, a thought experiment to mess around with. And then when I started actually digging into it, I applied the laws of physics to profitability and the laws of leverage and compound leverage, where one lever is working on the output of the previous lever, and it's creating just massive results with less work, less effort.
1: Well, I definitely want, and I'm sure Dylan and everyone else wants to hear more about that before, but before we get into that, um, first thing is, is that um, if you want my wife, Joanne, um, I can fly her out there and she will organize your books in color-coordinated fashion. Yeah. She does that at our house. And so like, literally it goes <laughs> like a rainbow. Rainbow. <laughs> it looks absolutely beautiful. Not that this doesn't look impressive and beautiful too, but she does amazing work with, with books. Um, and then second, I thought I would introduce you. And the list is so long that I had to just pick eight of them. Uh, and real quick, just say a few things that I, I really just couldn't believe I knew a few, but I had really no idea, um, about a lot of this stuff. And so today we are chatting with screen printing legend, Mark Kudre of the catalyst plan. And Mark has a degree in print engineering. He built a massive print shop, wrote hundreds, maybe thousands of potentially millions of articles. Of <laughs> um, I helped develop the BVT. Oh my God. We have to hear a little bit of that. Produced one of the world's first separation softwares. Mm. Softwares? Is that a thing? Software? Software, maybe. <laughs> uh, worked with stretch devices uh, to bring high-tension Me mesh. You oh. work with stress devices. He actually worked <laughs> with Newman our stretch devices to develop the newman roller i think in some no, fashion
2: you developed the frame but what i did is all the all of the testing and documentation that resulted in low elongation mesh which is what everybody uses now because it had never been scientifically studied of uh, polyester under load so i figured out what was going on with work hardening and and cold flow elongation and all that stuff and it ended up uh with the mesh companies reformulating the polyester into low modulus yarn that that holds its tension longer. God, like, but that's the engineering. Okay. That's the engineering yeah. aspect of how this works. That I feel could like how this whole is going, episode.
0: How this is going already with the scientificness of what Mark's saying? I feel like I'm gonna throw up when this episode's <laughs> over. So I don't have any fucking idea what's
2: happening. <laughs> um, <laughs> we can go back to the very beginning on how I got started in this. I want to. Oh, I, I 100 want that. Yeah
1: yeah so I uh, real quick before we do that sold everything to pay for his son's medical expenses and now consults businesses large and small on cash flow uh, I thought and that yes flow, cash flow and, prof, and profit pro, yeah dude, cash flow dude, not negative not negative cash flow <laughs> you can have
2: you can have profitability and negative cash flow real easy so yeah i i I coach people on positive growth double digit growth double digit cash flow, and double-digit profit.
1: Well, okay, cool. So let's, let's, <laughs> let's start at the beginning. When was your birthday?
2: When was my birthday?
1: Yeah, we'll just start there out? because there's a lot to learn here.
2: <laughs> so I'm an OG, right? So I, I was born uh, in December, 1953. I grew up in the desert with the wolves and the coyotes. My father was a, a uranium geologist in the 50s, and I grew up in New Mexico in the desert. And uh, literally, this is a joke, but I'm, sometimes I don't think it's a joke. Uh, we grew up downwind from the open-air nuclear testing in Nevada, and my dad would come home in the middle of the day and say, "We can't, can't prospect today <laughs> because there's too much fallout on the sagebrush." And because they would wow. they would fly the desert with Geiger counters and pick up the background radiation, and that's where they knew the uranium was.
1: I wonder if that had anything to do with your success. Well, like maybe.
2: Like spider Man. It's like I it's like. He got bit <laughs> by a radioactive spider. I grew up in radioactive environments, so
0: maybe I don't know. He's got that makeup on his forehead right now, covering his third eye. <laughs>
2: so,
0: so, so, how was that growing up out
2: there? It was. It was really scary. I mean, you had to literally were concerned with rattlesnakes and Gila monsters and poisonous spiders. And there were a lot of things that could kill you. My neighbor, literally my neighbor got bit by a rattlesnake coming into his house. And because we were 200 miles away from the nearest hospital, he literally cut his thumb off to save his life. Can you imagine having to cut your thumb off after getting bit by a rattlesnake? Well, hopefully he did it with something quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It was crazy like a butter knife in his kitchen no i think he had an axe i think it was like <laughs> a hand axe um but yeah i just chopped his finger off no thanks so, so how
0: yeah. did you get involved with printing
2: well <clears throat> i got thrown into a graphic arts printing class when they had vocational high school uh classes by accident it was a computer mistake i was tracked to do you know, engineering, law school, doctors, all that kind of stuff. And I couldn't get out of the class. There was no place for me to go. So the teacher said, you don't you don't fit in here. I've got disciplinary issues I got to deal with. I've got all these other kids that, that require a lot of my attention. You don't require any attention. Here's this box of screen printing stuff that Ulano sent me. Uh, get into it for the next quarter. Stay out of my hair and tell me what you got. So I literally did an independent study around a box of stencil materials and and a coupon uh, for a movie that was called Blue Sky Thinking. And it was all about your future in the screen printing industry. And, you know, back in those days, you know, the, the thing that was really cool was, oh, today's movie day, they'd get the 16 millimeter projector and you'd get the reel-to-reel movie and, uh, you didn't have to do anything in, in the class that day. Cause they were going to show a movie. So I ordered that movie. And for the first time in my life, I saw automated screen printing for posters and they didn't have any t-shirt stuff other than, um, manual t-shirt printing at that point. Uh, but I was fascinated by it. And, um, is that movie something anyone can see at this point? I guess no, it's still around. can't find any, we can't find any copies of it. We've been looking for it. Richard Greaves who worked for you, Lano can't find it. So, I mean, that would be, that would be an archivable treasure find, Yeah. you know, if we could find that someplace because it, it, it made a major difference for sure. Awesome. So anyway, um, he got me a job uh, as a senior in high school um, with a screen printing company. And uh, it was technical printing for a uh, military type prod- product. And they had a 25% reject rate with, with the screen printing side of it. And I didn't know anything about really technical screen printing, but I did know how to fix things. and I did know how to figure out how things work. So I literally, in six weeks, took their reject rate from 25% down to six-tenths of 1% and became like the superhero. And the, the guy was paying me crazy good money in those days. Uh, I was making twice what anybody else was making. I could name my own hours. Uh, well, what I, was it that you did
0: that saved them from that rain? I made,
2: an, I made a jig because there was distortion in this product that was it was kind of a rubberized um, magnetic type material, kind of like the sign stuff that you put on cars today, but it was different. And it it, um, it distorted really easily. So what I did is the same kind of thing that I did for Newman with and the mesh is, I measured the variation in the width of the material that came to us and determined what that variation was, plus or minus. And I had them make a jig where the material would fit down into the jig and would stay flat and aligned and it would butt up against the end. And that took all of the variation out of the product and we ended up with perfect product.
1: You were, you were making the material stable, I guess, you know, so.
2: Right. I was holding it stable. Right. I was holding it stable. And so, you know, the second year I graduated from high school and, and that was in 72, I worked all the way through 73. And then in the summer of 73, at the end of my first year of, of junior college, I was in mechanical engineering track. I was doing calculus and physics and all that stuff. And, um, I was looking forward to it, earning a bunch of money during the summer. And this guy was doing all military work and somehow his contractor number got left out of the GSA approved contractor directory. So overnight his business with the government stopped. And so here we were the first week of June and the the contractor book came out for the next fiscal year which started July 1st and his number wasn't in there. So he said, hey, just go on unemployment And, um, you know, we'll get this figured out. It's going to take six weeks or so to get it figured out, and then we'll just get back in business. And I said, I can't wait six weeks. So I went and filed for unemployment, which I'd never ever done. I stood in line with all of the homeless people and the hippies and everybody else and (laughs) filled out the paperwork. And I got up there to the front, and the clerk looks at it and goes, this is form 79178, you need to fill out form 79175, go back to the end of the line. And I said, (laughs) screw this. So I wadded up the paper and I went to the bank, took $200 out of my savings account and started Sarah Graphics, which was my company. And um, it started off great. We started getting business right away. And then um, through the fall of that year, I was finishing my my calculus series and I was getting ready to go in for the final in during the fall semester. And there was a really, really big storm outside and uh, we lost power and I, I had to study this stuff. It was really intense. And I had one of the very first slide rule calculators, which allowed you to do simple formulas like uh, exponents and parentheses, but it didn't do trig functions or any of that kind of self logarithms yet. That was the next year. But I had this slide rule calculator, which was screen printed on the, on the keyboard. And I was studying my calculus homework by candlelight because the power had gone out with a handheld computer. And the irony of this struck me. And I realized at that point, that if I became a mechanical engineer or an aeronautical engineer, I would just end up working for Boeing or Northrop or Grumman or one of those guys. I'd just be another anonymous engineer with 70,000 other engineers. But if I applied math and science and chemistry and physics to the screen printing industry, which was moving from a craft to a process, it was gonna get dragged along whether it liked it or not, because the only way that you could make a lot of the electronics and things that we were using was by screen printing. And still today in the iPhone, there's 18 items in the iPhone that can only be produced by screen printing. And when you think of how many billions of phones have been made and you look at 18 times those billions, that's a tremendous number of impressions. That's the functional imaging side of this. And so I decided that I would apply engineering to screen printing and bring it into the future. And right from the beginning, that was the whole purpose. And as soon as I graduated from, from college, this is a cool story. Um, I, I started Sarah Graphics as an incubator for the ideas that I had. Uh, the very first job that I ever printed was a halftone job. Um, and people weren't printing halftones. Nobody the thought very first one.
1: Halftones. So Sarah Graphics was a... Uh, a screen printing company for textile or for anything
2: it, it was anything but the majority of the work i did was on textile and the reason is and this is the way i think the reason i did it on fabric was because if i could hold tight tolerance and high resolution on an s- unstable surface then it could be printed on anything Mm -hmm. glass or metal or wood or plastic or whatever, it didn't make any difference. It was understanding the variables and how to control those variables. In fact, my senior thesis to graduate from from college was limitations of halftone screen printing to 85 lines. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I literally had read everything that had been published in English in the world on halftone screen printing. And that was almost 50 years ago, that was 1975.
1: So are you saying that then at those at that time, um, as far as screen printing goes, people weren't really printing halftones. It was, that was, people were printing halftones, it was on like plates, it was on paper. Right. You know, they were making plates, but but they weren't making screens with halftone dots. Right. Is yeah, it because they didn't have the rip? Because there was no software really to rip that sort of thing? Or wh- why didn't oh they my do gosh. it?
2: Oh gosh, no, this was all camera film. Mm. This was chemistry. And, you know, because I had a strong background in chemistry, organic chemistry, polymer chemistry, Um, we made our own developers. We made our own, you know, we made all these modifications to the process to give us better results. And uh, to make color separations, it was literally like a, a 20 hour job to make one set of separations. And if something screwed up, there were 16 pieces of film to make one set of four-color process separations. People today have no idea how difficult it was way back in the day. Um, but what happened is, is I ran my my business full-time while I was getting my degree at, at Cal Poly you know, here in San Luis Obispo, one of two universities that offered a Bachelor of Science degree in printing, a full Bachelor of Science, five-year program. Um, and I took all of my elective classes in really serious, uh, curriculum like statistics and organic chemistry and polymer chemistry, because I knew I wanted to build inks and I wanted to know how things worked. And so I ran the company, I was profitable and I went back just recently, like maybe a year ago and recalculated what our growth cycle was like compared to what growth is today. When I graduated from, from the university, I had five full-time, um, Employees, we went from two hundred thousand a year in uh, revenue to four point five million in eighteen months, with no computers, no social media, no email, no fax machines, no spreadsheets, no software.
1: Wow! No internet. No Uh, internet.
2: The internet was. How did you go about doing that though? Like how? Well, I I. I produced my vision to grow, and, and the biggest growth that I had was rock and roll. Um, we did concert tours right away, and we were doing crazy, crazy volume with that. Uh, so, you know, what everybody's doing today with band merch, that was that was it. In fact, before I started doing shirts, before Winterland started printing, and I printed for the Grateful Dead. I did some Van Halen. I did, you know, a lot of the artists during the 60s and 70s. Some of them are still alive and still touring. Jackson Brown is still touring. Bonnie Raitt is still touring. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of them that are still out, but they're they're OGs too at this point.
1: Is Winterland still around?
2: No. They, they closed uh, in the early 2000s.
1: W- weren't they the number one volume screen printer domestically? Yes, absolutely.
2: In fact, right. I'm. I'm uh, the the head production
1: manager of Wineland
2: was Frank Bacani, and Frank is coming down from San Francisco. He's retired now, and uh, we're spending um, Memorial Day together. Uh, this oh, like nice. great opportunity to to you know go back and share stories and and talk about what we what, what we did uh, way back in the day.
0: Hmm.
2: So. You
0: did high school. You got into it then. You did the college thing and then your business was taking off and you were doing crazy numbers. What happened next? What was your next step after that?
2: Well, I started teaching this stuff right from the get-go. I started presenting at, at you know, at the trade shows. I started writing articles for Screen Printing Magazine. Um, I spoke at the very first impression show, the very first ISS show in May of 1978. And there were those in those days, the need for... Knowledge was so great there was no place you could get it. There were the magazines. Impressions magazine wasn't even being produced yet. This was the trade show was before, before Impressions uh, started, um, and the very first seminar I did, there were like seven hundred people at the seminar. It was like a ballroom. It was crazy, and you know nobody knew anything, but they all knew that, that this was a fun business and that it was really cool. Um, we had all kinds of problems getting shirts. There would there were just was no inventory, there was no supplies, there were no suppliers, there was only one or two ink companies that were out there doing stuff. Um, it was very, very early on.
1: The very right. um funny story, the very first screen printed t-shirts I printed, like I had a I don't know, 70 piece order or something. I bought at Walmart three packs like would, the Fruit of Loom t-shirts used to come in like these three packs and I would open them three at, a, three at a time and then print them. I had no idea that there were actually distributors that I could go get them for less and I wouldn't have to go through all that hassle. <laughs>
2: so you, you were on the same path that I was because as I started buying shirts, mm-hmm. the very best shirt on the market that you mm-hmm. could find was sold by J.C. JCPenney and it was a Penny's Towncraft and it was an awesome shirt and everybody wanted them. And so what I did is in those days they had this thing called layaway and layaway was where you would buy something and you would pay so much per week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they would, you know, until you paid for, for what you had, uh, and then they would give you the bed or the whatever it is that you bought, right? So you just, hit me, you just hit me in the feels
0: <laughs> with the layaway because that was like my entire childhood. It was like, that's what mom did for Christmas and birthdays was exactly, layaway.
2: Exactly. So what I did is I bought the entire Penny's Towncraft inventory of that store in Santa Barbara <laughs> and put it on layaway. And whenever I would get an order, I would just get assorted sizes and assorted colors. That's what you got. And I would go in and say, I need 36 shirts and they would give me so many smalls and so many mediums and, you know, so many large and we're out of extra large, so nobody got any extra large. So then I would take those penny towncraft, unbundle them, print them up
1: and sell them. Are you saying that right then there were no wholesale distributors of, of garments? Nope. In fact,
2: in fact, so how did you do uh, the band merch then? So that was, that was later. So oh, okay. th- this was, this was like 73, 74, right at the beginning. I started doing the band merch in 77, uh, 76, 77, 78. Right. And that's when Sanmar started. And that's when the first mills really started the automation, being able to buy a precision automated press drove up the demand for t-shirts and the the underwear, underwear mills started producing shirts and then Wholesalers started showing up. Coffinburg was one. Harry Rosenblatt was one. Eisenberg in uh, uh, New York City was one. um, Nazareth Mills. There was a number of people that showed up. When Sanmar came on board, my Sanmar customer number, which I still have, my customer (laughs) number is 1,037. So I was one of the first 1,000 people that had bought and open an account with Sanmar and everything was bought either prepaid or COD. There was no terms.
1: Mm-hmm. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. The things we do, right?
0: Oh my gosh. So, so you were doing uh, the impressions and all this stuff. And then uh, I guess, were you just kind of known then as the the screen printing bookworm nerd guy that just like researched everything all the time? Like, was there a group of people like you that were just kind of like really diving in and not just doing screen printing as the business, but also like wanting to know the craft of screen printing better?
2: You know, I wasn't motivated by that. I wasn't thinking of myself as being somebody that was doing something really, really different. I just wanted to make the industry better. And, right. my, and this was a really big thing because in those days, everything was trade secret. And trade secrets came from the guilds back in the 1300s and the 1400s where you learned to trade and your trade made you valuable. Right. And so the old school craftsman approach is you literally learned the craft from an apprentice and a journeyman and then you became a printer and then you became a master printer. And man, you didn't share those secrets with anybody. Well, those she- secrets were just BS. Um, you know, we talk about an ink kitchen, right? Well, literally in those days, it was an ink kitchen. They would take the ink and they would thicken it with cornstarch. And, you know, because I knew chemistry, it's like, what the hell are you doing? This is just wrong. These, these And so I started teaching people the way it worked. And I always went back to the math and the science because if the math and the science worked, then I know the product would work. And that was the beginning of companies really starting to realize that there was legs to this. It wasn't just a fad and that it was going to you know, move on. And uh, gosh, about this time, it had to be probably 1980, 1981, um, I was I was elected to the uh, board of directors at SGIA in 1978. I was like 24, I think 25 at the time. I was the youngest person on the, on the board and I was the only textile person on the board. And the old guys there were like, we shouldn't have textile people. This is screen printing. We don't wanna bastardize the industry by bringing the textile people in. So there was this like prejudicial thing about, oh, you're just a bunch of dope smoking hippies. And we don't, you know, you're just, you're giving the industry a bad name. We don't want you on here. And then when I started teaching and writing about this stuff, that really hacked them off because I was sharing the trade secrets that was valuable for them. But what they didn't realize is technology was moving ahead. And if you hold on to what's working today and don't share it right away, you can't progress and move forward. And I see us, the industry today is kind of, it's kind of falling into that at this point. It's plateaued out and really it's on the downslide at this point in terms of the life cycle of an industry. It's in the demise phase of the technology. And we see this with DTF and DTG. Uh, What I know about 30 years of working with digital is that if digital enters an industry, it never goes back. There has never been an industry that I've seen where digital has entered in it and it hasn't fundamentally changed it forever moving forward. Think about video. Think about photography. Think about music. You know. Think about desktop computers. Think about the internet. Anytime that digital has entered, it's fundamentally changed it and the analog has...
1: has you've got, you Isn't it crazy to think that we used to go to Walgreens or something to get photos developed. And yeah, I don't know. It's just absolutely. And that wasn't too long ago. Yeah, no. I mean? I think you're right. However, I, I don't know. Um, I think that in, the industry is forever changed and digital is going to grow for sure. But like we were printing, I was having a conversation just um, this week and it, we're printing um, some jobs here this week that I gave as an example and said, this would never go digital. You know, this just, this just doesn't make sense to go digital. First of all, they're 17 inches tall. Um, they're um, kind of complicated screen printing. We can print so fast. We use such little ink. It's only three screens. I can't imagine, although I think you're right, and technology is going to progress and progress and progress. But how could we, how could digitally you compete with ink cost, speed, and size in that scenario? I don't know. Like it just doesn't, it's not even fathomable, you know? Well, I can
2: can appreciate your position, but once again, historical perspective tells us otherwise. What we're going through right now is exactly what the graphic screen printing phase of the industry went through in the late 90s and early 2000s. And graphic screen printing is extinct today. It's Mm -hmm. basically a fraction of where it was. And so is lithographic printing, which was huge compared to uh, screen printing. It was the seventh largest industry in the world, and it's basically gone at this point. And so what, what's happening is wide format demonstrated that full-color posters and banners were possible, and that created the demand, but they couldn't keep up with the speed. Sound familiar? Right. Right high quality printing but they couldn't keep up with the speed that caused the screen printing and equipment manufacturers like Tima and Spacia and M&R to create what were called the processor presses which were the 4 foot by 8 foot 4 to 6 head machines that would print uv with print uv print dry print dry print dry and those presses were like a million to 2 million dollars a piece and they couldn't make them fast enough uh, in, in the late 90s and early 2000s. And then in 2001, just before 9-11, um, the M-Press was developed in Europe, which integrated digital and screen printing together, which is hybrid. And so what would happen is the screen print would print the base down, and the inkjet would then screen print or would then inkjet the color the full color poster. And then screen print would come in with a clear overprint for UV protection. Well, the speed and the processing capability of wide format increased with Moore's law, which tells you that every 12, you know, 18 to 24 months, the processor speed doubles and the cost to create those processors drops by half. So you're on this exponential path. So it wasn't very long until high-speed UV inkjet just completely eliminated screen print. And that's exactly what's happening here. We had DTG, which is by itself. Then we had screen print with you know 20 heads, 40 heads, 56 head oval machines. Now you've got integration of uh, hybrid printing with the digital squeegee and now with the Polaris press uh, with the cornet uh, press, the CN top uh, with the rock machines, it's the same situation. It's just an inter- it's just a, a integration until the speed and the flexibility catches up. The ink prices will drop. Right now, they're taking advantage of the fact that they're taking all of the prepress out of it, all the screen making, all of that, and they're putting all that cost into the ink. So the actual ink cost to make the ink is very small, but they're recapturing that cost because they've eliminated other costs that are inherent in screen printing. Once screen printing is out of the equation, then the cost of the ink will come down just like it did for wide
1: format.
0: And end of podcast (laughs) and
1: industry. (laughs) Mic drop. (laughs) Yeah. I think that um, all of those things um, are super true. And, I think that if you're a shop and you're getting ready to, you know, to add a press that if you can add a press at, and I think this is important, the right cost. And like you said, you know, um, processing speeds are doubling and all these kind of things, and which is true, but I think, and costs are coming down, but right now I could buy, for example, probably three autos for, to, to our digital squeegee or whatever. And right. so, but if I'm, if I'm faced with like way more equal cost, well, then it, it turns into a no brainer. I just don't know how that, how it gets there, but it it probably will.
2: Well, I think one of the things that I wanted to share on the, on the session today is really understanding what we do in an industry. It's not ink on cotton. We're not screen printers. We're not DTG. We're not DTF. That's the process. That's the, what we do and how we do it, but it's not why we do it. What we do is we create the media of personal expression. And we live in a world of social expression and a unit of one. Let that What's, sink. So anybody oh, oh, oh. that's wearing a shirt, it's their lifestyle, it's their belief, it's their political clause. I mean, look at all the Black Lives Matter shirts. You know, it was like end the Vietnam War in the 60s. It's the same thing. It's a political statement. Back in the day, there was a magazine called Life Magazine, which was one of the iconic magazines of the 20th century. And I had shirts that were in the 1980 edition, the decade in review, the most significant things that happened during the the decade of the 70s. And one of those things was the rise of the printed T-shirt as a means of social communication. And that was the foundation that we still to this day are built on. We build communities. We, we create connections of communities. We create affinity. We it's create, a walking billboard. It's a walking billboard.
1: And Mark, you're, you're so right. And um, this reminds me, I think you might've even spoke to this at Print Hustlers, but this reminds me because I left Print Hustlers one at one weekend and I wanted to find my why. And so I came back here and our why turned into t-shirts speak. What will your shirt say? And I, and I wrote a whole thing on that and I, I put it on social, uh, my, on Instagram, but it's absolutely true because that's why people come here. And that's why people, I mean, go to, come to our front counter, open up the box, see their shirt and sometimes put it on like right then, right? you know, because that's a, it's a big deal. It is.
2: And <clears> what I, what I tell tell people, and one of the taglines that I've used, and I own this domain for, gosh, probably 15 years, every t-shirt tells a story. What's yours? Mm. Yep. Right? And that's, I mean, it's powerful. And when you drive your business from that perspective of we're creating the communication vehicle, and we're enabling this connection and the building this community, that will never change because that's part of the human psyche. And how we decorate that will change. The inks will change. The processes will change. The fashion will change. But the underlying core—you want to reduce it down to the things that will that are foundational. And the, we have this human need to express ourselves. And
1: to, isn't that and so cool? Isn't that so cool to be in a in a in business? Because business cannot be creative. There's lots of businesses that are just numbers. Um, but isn't that cool to be in a business that has that? crazy blend, that unique balance of art and business and that what we do every day, even though I get caught up in HR stuff or customer escalation issues or technical things like, you know, what's my EOM and all of this stuff at the end of the day, isn't it so cool to be in an industry like this?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's basically how do we see ourselves? And, you know, you were talking about the why this is a big thing with me. I, when I First heard Simon Sinek uh, do his TEDx talk, which was back in 2009. I saw it when it was still a TEDx, and there was hardly anybody knew about it. And from that, it became an obsession with me to find as many different whys that motivate people and drive people forward. And so far, I found eleven different whys that are at the root level. One, my overriding why is to find a better way and share it with others. And I've made a career over five decades of literally sharing everything that I'm doing. And some of the stuff that I'm doing right now is pretty mind blowing, it's way out there, way beyond screen printing, but I'm bringing into the screen printing community as well. You know, for those that are working with me, um, but it's find a better way and share it with others, uh, make a difference. When you think about a why, if you want to make a difference, everybody's business should have that why as a root core value of their business to do the right thing, to do it the right way, to do the right thing is what is socially, politically, um, emotionally, whatever, what is right, what is right for you Mm -hmm. and what is good, right? Think differently. Is another one of the whys. I mean, Apple Computer became a trillion dollar business on thinking differently, not like the mainstream. So, how does this tie
0: into? I know one of your big things is just the, um, you know, the profitability stuff or growing your business and the sales and all that stuff. Like, how does that, how do you go from the technical side to how to drive in more sales kind of
2: thing? Great question. So again, everybody starts off with the thing they do, right? Musicians, you got a band, you want shirts for your band. I mean, how many people did Ryanette set up as, you know, t-shirt printers because they were doing merch for their band? Um so you're really good at whatever you do. And that's the, that's the service delivery side of the business. So whether you're an accountant or a psychologist or a carpenter or a screen printer or a plumber or an auto repair guy, that's the service delivery side. The second leg of, of any business is sales and marketing. Marketing is the demand and the communication of what you do to the market. To create the demand, sales is conversion of the demand to orders. And then the third leg, which is what everybody's discovering now and over the last three or four years since I've introduced Profit First to the industry is it's the sales and market, it's the uh, uh, financial, profit, cash flow, HR and systems aspect of the business. When all three of those are in alignment, the business will grow as soon as one or more go out of alignment then the business plateaus and flatlines until it gets fixed and those plateaus are at 500,000, a million, 3 million, 5 million and 10 million in in top line revenue and it's not just our industry it's all it's all businesses because this is when you're starting to hire employees it's when you start to hire a production manager it's when you're starting to hire a bookkeeper Uh, and an office manager. Um, It's about creating systems. It's about creating department heads for each area, a production manager and a sales guy. And as a business owner, we start off wearing all the hats, but as the business gets bigger, then we need to have other people to help us. And that's that's kind of where it is. Now what I'm trying to do is I realized that I can only meet a company on their journey where they are. It's not about Mark or how much Mark has experienced or how fast he's grown or who he's worked with or any of that kind of stuff. It's about what's relevant to you right now where you are. What do you need to get you to the next step? Too many consultants and coaches that are out there right now, they're there to fix your immediate problem. I'm here to show you brake lights on the freeway brake lights on the freeway is where you're going. And, you know, if you see brake lights coming ahead, do you slow down. Do you take a side road? Do you detour a, a new route? You know, think about your GPS ways or, or whatever. They tell you that there's a, there's traffic slowdown coming up for two minutes, you know, or whatever. Those are brake lights on the freeway. And that's what i'm trying to do now is give companies brake lights so that they can grow smoothly and not run out of cash and be generate and have enough profit so that you don't want to go out and buy a press because you got the demand but you don't have the cash flow to support the loan to buy the equipment so right. this is all about being more deliberate of your growth top line is vanity bottom line is sanity cash flow and profit are the things that that Keep companies growing.
1: And are been, you saying? Um, are you suggesting that um, at that one million, three million? I, I think you said five. At those those plateaus, are you saying that those three things that all are in sync um, at those levels generally come out of sync because you're evolving? Like what you're the right. processes that were working at one time now all of a sudden don't at those different levels.
2: Right. So I mean, think about what you hear from everybody. Supply chains messed up. Right, Can't find shirts. We're having to you know, spend tons of time trying to find shirts. Can't find good help. Right, Those are HR and systems related issues. If you are anticipating those kinds of factors ahead of time, you can make plans to um, mitigate that. You can change your business model, you can change how you talk to your customers. You can get orders and prepay orders and and bring in the work when you've got the inventory. You can buy inventory of specific colors and sizes that you know you're gonna sell. You can create contracts with your uh, customers for stage delivery as inventory becomes available. There's things that you can do to deal with the changing market characteristics. I'm a future looking forward looking kind of person. I don't, I don't like to look back other than to learn from what's happened in the past. And I think too many people are stuck in the present moment dealing with what's happening right now. And that's kind of like the blinders are on. Forget the past. Uh, forget the future. I can't see into the future. And I'm just worried about the craziness that's going on right now. And that's a limiting factor.
1: I like the, the proverb, um, the farmer who is always looking over his or her shoulder, never plows a straight line, you know? And so it's like, I think you're right. I think it's important to, um, remember the past, but forward thinking is, I don't know where it's at. I sometimes get caught up in, 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 in in a little bit of that. And I, and I, I don't know, I need to be better. That's for sure. Well, um, my wife planning.
2: <laughs> my wife is like this. I mean, she's like, well, what happens at this? And what happens at that? What happens at this? And what happens with that? That's all speculation, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I've made a lifetime career goal of developing what I refer to as my mental models. And the mental models are the way that I think and the way that I explore a problem, the way I approach solving a problem. the the way I approach dealing with customers, whatever. And one of the the core things for me is to think five steps ahead. So if I'm thinking about what what if I take this job? What if I do this big contract job? What if I take this big contract client on? I want the work. That's the immediate, you know, it's like the icing on the cake. I want the icing on the cake. Well, what's gonna happen if that contract customer is a whale and they become so big that they overtake your most profitable business with low profit contract work. And they become 70% of your customer base. You literally are setting yourself up to fail because you didn't think about the consequences of what a perfectly successful delivery is. Uh, Or here's another classic case that we've experienced many times for us. We take on a clothing line. And we put up with all the, I only, you know, need a dozen now, but there's going to be like big bucks when, when we, you know, when it's going to blow up, Classic, right? Right? The classic (laughs) line that hasn't changed in 50 years. No, Um, I get that every day. When you really take a clothing line under your wing and you help them understand what it takes to merchandise and build that brand. When that company literally hits a volume of three or 4,000 shirts a month on a regular basis. So basically 35 to 50,000 shirts a year. What happens then is they show up on the radar of the big fish and the big fish come in and say, Hey, we can get you into Sun, or we can get you into Tilly's, or we can get you into this, this and that, and this distribution channel. And, you know, we can get you in order, we can get you 200,000 and we can also get it financed for you. And we can also do the production in Mexico, which will be super cheap compared to what you're doing in California right now. And overnight, you've shepherded these guys through with great product. And the next thing you know, they're saying, hey, we'd like all of our films and all of our files. And uh, we've just signed a a merchandise and distribution and licensing agreement with XYZ company and boom, they're gone. So we've done everything right. They've done it. Got them there. Right. And so where, where's the back end of it? So unless you get equity in that clothing line and you've got some hooks into the future, you're setting yourself up for a negative outcome.
1: I've seen this happen so many times, not just in the, they went, they got so large that, that they went to a Sun type of thing, but also um, there's a scenario when they want to bring printing under their roof. Right, you know, and I think, which is always a big mistake because here we are as a, as a print shop and our job, one of our jobs is to make it look easy, you know, to, to, to make it look very convenient and easy for them. And so, uh, they're like, well, well, we can do this. Look, we can cut our costs, we can print, we can get stuff when we want it on time and all these kind of stuff, all these kind of things. And so they do that and then they realize, oh my God, like I have to code a screen, I have to clean a screen. How do I do all this stuff? And so I think that they then all of a sudden shift all of this powerful marketing and powerful sales and all the things that they're doing. And all of a sudden they have to learn screen printing and they're almost taking steps backwards. And I, I see it happen um, often. It's happened to us I, a handful of times. It happens to everybody
2: you know i've had rock and roll cl- clients that were doing a half a million dollars a year with me back in the day and today that would be a 2 million dollar a year account and i one day they walked in and said hey you guys have been great vendor for us you you've absolutely made it possible for us to to you know build our fan base and it's been great but the band can't get along and they're breaking up and we're done. So boom, $2 million worth of business in today's dollars gone instantly. And there wasn't a thing that I could do about it. And again, this is, you know, the lesson out of this is I wasn't thinking about where the outcome would go if this became super successful and they became a huge part of our business. And this is why I um, try and guide shops to say, if somebody becomes more than 15% of your overall volume and your overall revenue, you're on shaky ground. They could really seriously impact the stability of your company and your your customers. I mean your your other customers and also your employees if they were to change their model up or go away.
1: So are you recommending because you said something about having a stake? You know, like how do you are you suggesting that we are or, or that a shop somehow partners with them in a way? Absolutely.
2: Strategic, you- st- strategic joint venture arrangement, equity arrangement. Um, You would need to speak with an an attorney because there are legal ramifications for liability. If you own more than 20% of a business, Uh, you become essentially a general partner, even if it's an LLC. So you would want to set this up. So where you would be less than a 20% partner in that business with the ability to buy out on a certain term. Hmm. So you become a partner. They want to buy you out. The bigger company wants to buy them. Now you've got an exit and a compensation model in writing that both parties know about. And both parties are are working toward that outcome or working towards just growing together. What's in it for them though. What's in it for them.
1: Yeah. Like what? So you say, Hey, I want part of your company and you know, I, wouldn't,
2: I wouldn't approach it that way. What I would do is I would be completely transparent and upfront and say, listen, you know, we get approached with, with clothing brands like yours all the time. And what I advise all of my clients is ask them the questions that they can't answer. And if you say, well, what are those questions? My response to that is, well, you haven't done your homework. It's just like when they say we want to set up our shop on our own, they haven't thought about coding screens and reclaiming and all the environmental aspects and the regulatory aspects and all of the stuff that's completely in the background but affects our day-to-day ability to do our jobs. Now, all of a sudden, they've inherited all that headache. They had no idea it was coming. But if they had known that in advance and you would say, there's going to be a day when you're going to consider that working with me is too expensive and you're going to want to set up your own business, but let's talk about what that means for you. And you tell them what it means, and you tell them what you're going to have to find people, and you're going to tell them how they're going to maintain consistency quality, how they're going to maintain predictability and repeatability of their brand. It's You don't want it looking one way one day and another way the another day. How are you going to make sure that your, your people are loading the shirts consistently in the same location and they're straight every single time? Right, I mean, there's all these different kinds of things that go in and then you and then you
0: make their head spin, and then they decide to
2: stay with you for forever. (laughs) They realize that you are a subject matter expert, that you're an authority, and that you're an expert at what you do. And it's just like you would never say to them, "Well, which stores are you selling it to?" Well, if you if you have. Um, worked with any clothing brands and you know that they've gotten stuck with late payments and these kinds of things, you can say, hey, don't sell to these guys or be careful if you go to these guys. This is what we've seen with other clients. Now you're becoming an expert guide. Think of yourself as a trusted guide. You know, I, I talk about story brand, and I, I was a story StoryBrand uh, certified guide for a year, um, but you're a trusted guide for your clients. You're about... Creating success for them. If you talk about what success look like, looks like for them, they're going to tell you what they think or not. They may not think, they may not even know where they're going. This is where you can guide them. Brake lights on the freeway, right? Where are you going? Are you prepared for this? What's your plan for this? How are you going to deal with working capital at this point? They're not thinking about that. I guarantee you, they're not thinking about that. And most screen printers aren't either. This is where thinking about those three elements, right? Service delivery, sales and marketing, and finance and administration. You're thinking about working within that triangle, within your sphere of competence and your sphere of of um,
1: comfort. I think this um, this overlaps with what we're getting ready to do um, next month, and we're having uh, we're meeting with somebody, and they're going to help our quote process, and so. Like right now we have a quote signature. We sent out a quote, here's the price. And that's basically it, but they're coming in and they're going to show us, um, how to not, I guess, sell better because we're not really, um, we're not, we're not pressure sales. We're not trying to always be closing. It's nothing like that, but we send out quotes a lot and our conversion, um, could improve. And so they're going to set us up like very briefly, say why you should choose us, you know, like here's the quote, but right before we show them the quote, it says what our value, what the value is of choosing Sherkong. Do you know what I mean? Instead oh. of just giving them some blind quote.
0: What's, what's your take on that Mark? Cause I know you're, uh, you're itching to get into what you just said.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Hold yourself back.
0: Um, well, it's kind of like with your whole catalyst program and stuff like. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean,
2: in that, that program now catalyst is seven years old. And now what's happening with Catalyst is I'm licensing other coaches to teach the Catalyst model in all industries. And the evolution of what we've learned with over 400 companies that have gone through the Catalyst program has been incredibly insightful. In our industry, people take orders. Their sales process is what I call the oyster sales process. Open your mouth and whatever floats in, that's what we're gonna eat, right? So it's whoever walks through the door, whoever refers themselves, you don't know when it's gonna come. Word of mouth, there's nothing wrong with word of mouth, but it's unpredictable. At some point, if you find yourself in the quoting process or you're doing RFPs, what, what that tells you is your client doesn't have enough information and they're shopping for the lowest price. And when you give an RFP or when you give a price, now you're establishing the the floor of the industry. This is why people don't make any money in this industry, is they haven't defined the value, not for us, but for our customer. And the more that we know about how the end user is going to use our product, the more value that we can deliver. And there's hundreds of things of value that we can deliver to them.
0: Do you have an example on something like that where we would talk to a
2: specific customer to make sure
0: that they know there's value, not Let's necessarily an just an
2: invoice? Let's take an event, right? So we look at it and go, okay, we're going to print this shirt, we're going to do a neck label. You know, we, we may may do a you know a, a logo on the back. Um, you know, th- that's all. Make that's just the process of what we do. But how are you going to display this? How are you going to merchandise it? Are you going to do a Q- QR code on your point of sale? What are you going to do when you? sell out of a size? Are you going to lose that sale? How are you going to capture the people that buy shirts from you? Those are future sales. When somebody buys a shirt from you, that's the most powerful thing that can happen is that is a future sale because they know that that shirt is going to become their favorite shirt. That's my intention. I want to create shirts that are collectible and that people love to wear. I want it to be the favorite shirt in their their drawer. So when I approach the market from that perspective, what do I have to do for my customer so that everything that they sell to their fan base becomes the fan's favorite shirt? That's mm-hmm. value. And that's the questions that we ask that they can't answer. So typically what we would do is we would say, okay, we're doing a, a major event this weekend, um, Memorial Day weekend, it's a big art fair uh, event thousands of people come to it. We do multiple designs for it. What we do is we package each design by size, by box, and we color code the boxes, blue, green, pink, red, whatever it is, and they're stacked in the background. The shirts are folded and bagged, and they're in the box by size. So, when somebody says, I need a small of, you know, the the seahorse design, they can go, boom, right to the green box and pull that out and you so you're,
0: you're pitching to them that not only are you printing the shirts, but you're going to stage it for them so that it's perfect for the event that they're going to have. And so I'm that's gonna, the selling point.
2: And I'm going to set it up so that there's a QR code right there. Everybody's used to using QR codes coming out of COVID. They go, they go to the website with the QR code. Now we can capture their information. We can, we can do it. Um, we can send them a text back to their phone. Now we've got that SMS information available for us and we can develop a relationship because we know where they came from because of the QR code. We can set that up in a database, we can tag it. And now we've got variable data information and we can do database marketing. And more importantly than that, as we move forward, and this is what I'm working on right now, I plug all of that historical metadata about where the event took place, what happened with it. I can have a QR code for every city that's on the tour of the the band. And I can literally put that into the AI model that we've built and create predictive analytics based on how people buy, based on the weather that took place at that time, the temperature, <laughs> um, the type of garments that were sold, the style of garments that were sold, um, the economic uh, profile of that community versus the sales of that community. This is all the stuff that Amazon does. This is the stuff that when when somebody goes to uh, Merch by Amazon, They're taking all this information in and they're creating predictive models. This is the future of where we're going.
0: So are you using those predictive models for the customer to say, this is what you should expect in
2: this area and so on? Yeah, and even better than that, what we're using it for is to create competitive uniqueness for our clients. So you as an individual, I can put everything that you do into the model and it will show me, graphically visually in a 3d three-dimensional space where you are and it will show me by the fact of where you're not but you should be that becomes a competitive space right and i can define what that space is and essentially the response every time that we've done this is wow i never would have thought of that but it makes perfect sense like to
0: get into that business or into that niche? Or, or add stuff.
2: extra services. Right. Now, when, you, when somebody says, we need an RFP for this, I'm asking, do you want just the RFP for the printing? Or do you want merchandising? Do you want delivery? Do you want accountability? Do you want fulfillment? You know, what is it that you want? Do you want, do you want uh, uh, analytics of your fan base and your purchasing? You've How got far... all kinds <laughs> of stuff that you can do. How far into that are you? Oh, uh, five years, six years. And when
0: do you think something like that's going to be? I mean, are you already using it or?
2: We're building it out. And that's why I'm doing coaches, licensed coaches. I want them in the Catalyst program to bring more businesses in, in more communities. I I need data to feed it. I've got about 10 million data points in my model right now, but 10 million is barely scratching the surface. We need, we
0: need. So, is that going to be part of the catalyst program? It it already is. It has been. Right. I did it a long time ago and I need to step back into it because I know you have that open group to do. Um, Be on the call tomorrow. (laughs) I mean, I want to do this uh, robot thing that Mark was telling me about.
2: (laughs) Um, Eric's on there every week. Eric's on on there every single week. Yeah, I know he would be. It's just, it, if nothing more, it's gonna give you a view of what's moving forward. Right, oh, I understand, it makes sense. What else, uh, what else
0: are you into right now? I say, I know you probably got your hands in 100 things, but what are some um, stuff that you're excited about?
2: The key thing that, that I see, and this again, this is with all businesses below 10 million, is they need a consistent, predictable, repeatable way to deliver market qualified leads for their business. Market qualified means they're ready to buy and they're ready to buy what you do at your price. So I'm building out structured sales engines at the front end of the process to how to create demand for what you do or what anybody does and how to convert that demand into highly profitable clients that are going to grow. And this is all based on the lifetime customer value, which was like lesson three in Catalyst.
1: I know that some of the stuff you do with catalyst is um, and you even mentioned this when we first came on something about the physics of profit and those laws, like the law of inverse effort, Effort, right? Yeah. So what um, can you touch on that stuff?
2: Sure. So the, the law of inverse effort is based on greater results with less effort. So it's based on the concept of leverage. So the way I I illustrate this is imagine that you're a landscaper and you do landscape work and you've got to move a 50 pound rock, 30 feet. Well, I can do that. I can pick that rock up. I'm going to muscle it and I'm going to, I'm going to take it 30 feet. And it's going to be, it's going to be stressful for me, but I can do it. It's a hot day. It's uphill um, I'm gonna be sweating by the time I get to the end of that, but I'm dropping that rock, great. That was just pure muscle. That's the way we run our businesses today. You do what you gotta do and there's a lot of friction and there's a lot of effort that's involved. Now suppose that you gotta say, okay, we move that 50 pound rock, now we gotta move that small boulder over there that weighs 500 pounds. Well, you're not going to pick it up like you did the 50-pound rock. You're going to go get a wheelbarrow or a dolly or a crowbar, and you're going to muscle it up the hill. And uh, you use probably the same amount of effort, but you're doing 10 times the work because you're using a lever. Now, you got to move that 5,000-pound rock. You're not going to do it with a wheelbarrow. You're going to do it with a bobcat or an excavator or a backhoe. And your effort to move that 5,000 pound rock is the effort of moving the levers that control the hydraulics of that machine, which is compound leverage. Now you're doing a hundred times the amount of work with much less effort. You're not sweating. You're not using your muscles. And so when I took that concept and said, what are the levers that we can do to grow our business? And I started taking across, taking apart the business process from an idea all the way to the sale of the business and the exit of the business over time. And and so far, I've got 42 different profit levers. And just...
0: Like kind of to do them in, an, in a certain order to get to that end point? Exactly.
2: And this is the whole aspect of compound leverage is that Compound leverage is it takes the result of one lever and multiplies it by the leverage of the next lever, and the result of that gets multiplied by the next result. So if we take a look at bookkeeping, for instance, um, the gross margin, which is the amount of money over the cost of the goods that we work with, right? the cost of the shirts, whatever that amount is, let's say it's 40% of the total sales price. That's a typical gross margin for a screen print. If we lower our internal costs by being more efficient, better better material purchases, um, less electricity, turn the lights off, those kinds of things, we lower that by 3%, which is pretty easy to do. There's 3% in just about any business I've ever seen. And we were to raise our price by 3%, that's going to make a 6% difference in the gross margin. And since we're already profitable, that 6% is going to drop right to the bottom line. And now you've got 6% of the top line sales, additional profit on top of the profit you were already making. And if you were making 2% or or 4% profit right now, which is pretty typical for a company with a 40% gross margin, you're going to be double digit profitable just for making those two changes. And you had no effort to do that other than to look at what you're doing in, in the house, buying better tape, buying less expensive mesh, buying better emulsion. You know, things emulsion that might be more expensive, but it doesn't break down on press, so you get more units per hour out. So there's all kinds of those related rates that are going on. And the more I study them, and the more that we put the, that kind of data into the AI model, we start seeing how we can move the compound levers around to get bigger and bigger and bigger results. It's all crazy. It is crazy. And nobody thinks the way I think. So I try not to... It's all the radiation. <laughs> <laughs> <Fire> so
1: <man. laughs> so let's say a shop wanted to start, you know, like, okay, they're like, man, this sounds amazing. Um, And they want to begin with lever number one. <laughs> you know, is that something that... I guess with the Catalyst plan, this is something that you say, okay, well, here is... How we do it we do it in steps and you just work on step number one with them, and then so they get through that right and just like compound interest and like you were explaining, you're you know it's just um, then the next step is even better and so you know just curious and, and probably everybody moves at a different pace. Mm-hmm. how long do you think that takes?
2: I've seen people get six figures of top line growth in 30 days. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen five companies now in the, in the seven years that I've done Catalyst, I've had five companies that have increased their net profit after all expenses by more than $1 million in a year. And the most was $2.16 million. That was a bigger company, but nevertheless, they had a huge increase in their net profitability, bottom line. Top line is vanity, bottom line is sanity, right? So what's, what's happened now is originally, the original Catalyst plan was a series of lessons. It would go, you would do Catalyst Accelerator, which was a 12-week program. It was designed to um, generate somewhere between $50,000 and $100,000 worth of additional top line revenue in the course of a year, And the reason that it was top line is because this is where everybody's thinking is. They're all thinking about growth being the top line number. But in the process of teaching them what to do to get that top line number, we're actually going in and we're fixing the underlying uh, aspects of the business so that it flows through to net profit on the bottom line. Now what's happened is we're moving into uh, small group coaching, which are companies that are in a a coaching program with 10 other people, maximum of 10 other people. Uh, And the two programs that I've got right now that I'm I'm piloting on this, the first one is called March to a Million. So if you're less than a million dollars in top line revenue, you would go into that program. And it's designed to lay the foundation to get you to a million dollars with double digit profitability,
1: right? So because this is maybe a group process? Is it then less expensive? Because maybe some shops are like, wow, I'm under a million. I would love to get over a million. However, it's super expensive to hire Mark. How do I get there? And you're saying as a group, we can do it, um, for less or something. And because, and and here's the one other thing a caveat, I would say to that is that no matter what you cost, like if it's, if there's this number, if you're going to get your ROI in 30 days or something, then obviously it's obviously it's worth it, but maybe some shops don't have that money to invest or they don't see that, like, Hey, I need to Dylan's favorite is I need to spend money to make money. And we had this big argument before, but, but maybe that's true. Right. And so it's, it's hard to see that sometimes so. <clears> though. <throat> well,
2: I, I think that's a really valid point. Mm-hmm. And the key factor here is when you say it's expensive to work with you or what's the cost to work with you, my answer is nothing. There is no cost to work with me. It's an investment to work with me. And it, it works like this. You give me a dollar. I give you $5 back. You give me a dollar. I give you $5 back. How many times are you going to do that with me?
1: Um, one zillion.
2: <laughs>
1: what are you going to do when you get tired of <laughs> give you $1 bills? Mm. Oh yeah. give you hundreds.
2: I give you $5 back. You give me five. I give you 25. You give me 25. I give you. 100%.
0: So you can, so you can start with the dollar. Exactly. Eventually you're going to want to be like, Mark, here's 10 grand. What can we do? <laughs> yeah.
2: And what it, what it comes down to is what's the most expensive thing that you can sell me because I know I'm going to get a multiple of that back. My business is based on multiple ROIs. And if you're looking at it, like I need to scrimp and save my money we're not a good fit to work together because I'm about Mm. creating wealth. I'm not about trying to save money or save expenses. That's finite. There's only so far that you can cut your expenses before the game is over. You start impacting the quality of your delivery. You start impacting the quality of the employees. I want you to be able to hire the most expensive and pay the most expensive talent that you can find. I want you to be known as the place that people want to come to work for. But you have to be profitable and have the cash flow to be able to do that. And in order to do that, I have to change the way that you're thinking about your business and where you're going with your business. I always ask people, first thing, what's your exit plan? What's the exit plan for your business? You're either moving toward that exit or you're moving away from it. Every decision you make is moving you toward that outcome or away from that outcome. Think
1: five steps ahead. Nobody can tell me what their exit is. It's only Uh, Dylan Dylan. can Dylan, Dylan will exit his exit plan is to die, right? I'm going to die in this chair, (laughs) (laughs) but um, uh, that's joking, of course. But I think that um, as you were saying that I was thinking to myself, well, you know, Mark maybe should do this as he uh, his approach should be just like it is with brands. Like you you should say, Andy, look for, for 19% of your business, um, because maybe one day you'll leave me once you hit step number or lever number 42, then you don't need my services anymore. But I can have 19 percent of Shirt Kong, and then we're good to go forever. <laughs> but uh, so maybe, maybe that's owns uh, 10 percent of every. So call me, you know, call me after this. <laughs> that's,
2: that's actually that's actually a, a model, and that's actually a retirement model, because there's certain things that you can do. You can take an equity position in a business, put it into a Roth IRA, and as that business grows, when it sells out and and you profit from that, that money goes into your Roth IRA tax free. So if I build 100 businesses, and 50 of them sell, the profit from the from my share goes into that
1: retirement. And plan. you pay, and you defer taxes until retirement. There isn't no Roth. Tax.
2: There are no taxes on the Roth. Okay. No, if it's a Roth IRA, you pay taxes going in. Mm. So if if I go in and I buy shares and I buy, I literally do a a, a purchase with you, saying, okay, look. We're gonna set up, it's gonna cost $2,000 uh, to set your business up. I'm gonna do the setup for your business and all the foundational work to grow your business. And for that, I get 20%. That's an exchange. I pay taxes on that 20%. It goes into the Roth IRA. Now it's tax-free forever on. So you just gotta make sure that you're growing businesses that connects it profitably. Beautiful. My, I'm gonna throw, throw up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, let's see, is there anything else we before we go to Yeah, um, is there
0: anything, Mark, that you want to talk about specifically that we didn't touch on?
2: Well, I, I think that the thing that gets me that really is hard for me to, to navigate is so many businesses are just caught in the moment. They're not thinking about where they want to go, they're not thinking about a bigger picture, a bigger purpose in life. You know, what is it that you're doing? If you're doing this just as a job or a side hustle or, you know, that kind of a thing, you're, you're going to struggle your whole life. But if this is something that is meaningful to you, that you feel like you're making a societal contribution to your community, to your physical community or to your community that you serve, whether it's bands or events or running groups or CrossFit gyms or whatever it is. What is the contribution to that community that you're doing? And I know that with Gen Z and millennials, this is a big thing. They want to make a difference. They want to move the needle. And my question to them is, and to all of you listening, is what is your contribution? What do you want to be known for? What is the difference that if you were to die tomorrow, they would say, hey, you know, Dylan was a great guy. I love the guy. You know, he (laughs) made a difference. He they made, would say that, wouldn't they? <laughs> I
0: would
1: say that. I mean, <laughs> what, sure. what
2: you're doing, what you're doing with with this program, is exactly that. You're showing people a bigger picture. You're giving them a a multifaceted view of the future and also where they are today compared to everybody else. If you think about the numbers of shows that you've done, and the content and the guests and things that you've had and everything that you've talked about, think about it was a, about, was it about serving in the moment or was it about serving in the future? Where is this gonna take this business? Get people thinking about where they're going so they can make good decisions. It's either moving you toward that outcome or it's moving away from that outcome. How much easier would that make you and less stressed if, if you approached every choice you had to make from that perspective? Right.
0: Oh, I agree.
1: Um, I um, I, I think that as as business owners, especially, uh, you know, it seems like screen printing shops that we're a lot of times owner operators, and um, I think we get caught up in the day to day stuff, and to and to work on these sort of things like you just talked about is really really challenging. And um, that's why consultants are so great. And that's why the, an outside, somebody from the outside, you know, out of your loop and out of your day-to-day thing is so fantastic is because you may say to yourself, oh, I want to work on this stuff. And I'm going to do that tomorrow <laughs> and I'm going or I'm going to do that next week. I, I promise like that's on my list, but then inevitably tomorrow comes or next week comes. And then there's something else that's more important on that list. You think that's more important. Maybe it's not more important, but it's more important to you in that very moment. And so you get caught up fixing that, whatever that fire is that you have to put out or whatever that is. And then, so that gets pushed off and then it gets pushed off a year and two years. And pretty soon you're, it, it, it's not, I'm not saying it's going to be too late, but you're just, you could have done so much different, you know, earlier on. And so that's why consultants. Um, are fantastic because they can come in and they can help with that and they can give you timelines and help you, um, I don't know, accelerate that sort of, um, taking care of some of those things. So
2: <clears throat> this is, this is a hard question to <clears throat> answer. Not it. Right. So <laughs> how, how old
0: are each of you? I'm 35.
1: 35. I, I am 53. Are you really? Yep. Look 53. Exactly. Thank you. The um he's a, he's a fucking I, vampire. Well, much like you, um, I've been exposed to screen printing chemicals for about almost 25 years, and it's this the fountain of youth.
0: <laughs> that 701 on your face every morning. <laughs> That's
1: right. 30, 35, 35
2: and 53, right?
1: Hey, those have flipped. There you go. Yeah, exactly.
2: So how old do you want to be when you're successful?
1: Well, that defines successful.
2: There you go. That's the first step. What's success mean to you? I feel, you go first? I feel like I'm good now. <laughs> I feel like I'm good.
0: I feel like the business is good and my life is good mm-hmm. and I'm happy. So I, I would say it's successful. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's nice when it grows and we can keep doing this, but I don't see anything in the future where I'm like, I need to get there in order to be happy. Like I'm happy
1: My uh, definition or how I measured success has changed over the years. Mm -hmm. When I was 25, I definitely measured success with the, what did you say? Vanity. I think I was like, that's what, this is my number. And that's as my, my success. And it was a dollar number. And as I aged and matured, it just the sanity, I guess, maybe the vanity sanity scale switched because, you know, success is kind of like, what Dylan just said—it's for me. Um, of course, you need the fundamentals paid for. I got to pay for my my bills, right? But after that, it's more about um, happiness and and things like that. And so, um, I think that a lot of shops—and we've—I we, think we've said this before—a lot of stuff, a lot of shops don't really know where that is. And so, there's sometimes a stretch test and just like, wait, it all the time. Yeah, we got that. We got too big. Let's downsize and all these sort of things. And you kind of go through this as you as you go through the. what it is like to be an entrepreneur. So, yeah, but that doesn't, um, where were you going with this? So you're, you have a, maybe this exit, this exit strategy or something is where you're going. I'm not sure.
2: Yeah. So basically it's just to get you thinking is success based on the moment or is it success based on the future? So, you know, I think we're at a, we're at a point right now where I've got another call coming up uh, right at the end. And this is be a good, spot for us to think about and to wrap up, Um, you know, if people would like to find out more about where their future lies and what their capability, what their potential is, they can go to catalystplan.com. We're getting ready to put up a free uh, profit potential assessment, which allows you to view your potential for your business at the size that you're at right now. And it's based on your numbers and what you think. And it actually will calculate using the law of inverse effort and show you what the potential is with less effort. And Mm. you begin to um, learn about how to separate the signal from the noise. That's the busyness of being busy from the the signal, which are the things that move the needle for you and your family and your organization and everything that you hold as valuable.
0: We really appreciate uh, all this insight, Mark, and uh, definitely I suggest everybody go check out Mark's site and check everything out and uh, do that calculator because I mean it's super important. And if we can uh, grow from all that, then we're all better off.
2: Cool, hundred percent. you guys, and I'd I'd love to come back and and yes ton of things that we can explore um, in a lot of different areas based on the size of the shop, the industry that we're in, the segments of the industry that we're in, where things are going. I'm yeah, all... there's
0: like a million things that we want to ask you, but like we would be here like all day Part
1: long, two so. and three and four <laughs> and five and all those sort of things. Yeah. We'll
0: do a two-part series with Mark.
1: <laughs> um, and I echo what Dylan just said. Thank you for sharing your story and thank you for everything you've done for this industry. Um uh, please move to St. Louis and hang out here every single day. I don't know what that would take, but, um, but yeah, um, enjoy the rest of your Wednesday and, and cheers, man. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah. Awesome, guys. Thanks very much. I enjoyed, enjoyed it. I look forward to coming back. Thanks Mark. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.